Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Week one in the books. Week two, we are rolling right on into it. Hope everybody listening had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Uh, I know I did. I'm Joe Lonergan, the Western Kentucky blogger over at underdogdynasty.com. Also do some other Conference USA related things. And joining me now on a regular basis, our FIU beat writer, Mr. Eric Henry. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thanks, Joe, for having me, and apparently I didn't uh, stink up to join that bad, as you know, you'll be hearing more of me every single week, and uh, as we're uh, getting this thing started, I gotta ask you a quick question, Joe, I, I happen to see, see on Twitter, uh, once it was last week, uh, are you a White Sox fan? Uh, yeah, for a little bit, um, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan for the most part, I grew up a little bit north of there, um, so when your team is... You know that consistently garbage for so long. You got to have a second team. <laughs> All right, just happened to uh, see that and call you out because uh, I'm actually uh, my second team would be the Cubs. I, I went to grad school in Chicago, so I'm a uh, uh, diehard Rays fan by birth and then Cubs fan by choice. So I was going to give you a hard time if you were a, a Sox fan first, but uh, I'll, I'll let you have that one if you're a Reds fan. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, that 05 team was kind of how I, I kind of picked the White Sox as my second team when they had Ozzie Guillen as the manager. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we devolve into a baseball podcast, um, <laughs> let's go ahead and relive the week that was for Conference USA, and we'll start with going over this UAB win over Savannah State, 52 to nothing. Not a bad way to open the season at all. Uh, 228 yards on 22 completions for A.J. Erdley with uh, two touchdowns and one interception. Uh, the potency of UAB's rushing attack was on display as well with 287 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns. Uh, included in that was a 100-yard game for Spencer Brown. Um, no need to really overreact to this because this was a suspected easy win for the Blazers, but uh, that lost fumble and the interception are mistakes you didn't want to see, uh, but you can't really be too mad if you're a UAB fan with a 52-0 to victory, right, Eric? Yeah, I completely agree, Joe, and one of the things uh, we saw a lot, uh, not just only over Conference USA, but all of college football, uh, I think it's a long off season, and when you come in, you know, teams are really excited to get out there and hit someone else who's not, you know, a teammate. So I think you had a lot of first-game jitters, and that uh, could play in the fact with some of the turnovers of UAB. But I uh, agree with you there. No reason to overreact. Um, Spencer Brown, James Noble, A.J. Early pick up where they left off last season. Uh, a guy we talked about really quick uh, last week was Kingston Davis. Mm-hmm. And I remember him from last chance U fame. You know, one of the things I mentioned last week was that he might be a guy you could see in short yards and goal line situations, and that was the case with his uh, – one-yard touchdown run, so that just gives the Blazer offense another weapon down there in the goal line, and linebacker Chris uh, Wilbright with the pick six, and kind of snowballed from there, so a uh, good win for UAB. That was interesting that they used Davis in that exact scenario that we thought, and all in all for UAB, you had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different guys get touches uh, in the run game, and the result you know, was obviously something that they wanted. <laughs> Four touchdowns. That's that's a running game that's uh, hard to hard to stop, especially if you're a depleted FCS squad like Savannah State. Absolutely. Go ahead, Joe. You got it. <laughs> no, no worries. I was just taking a sip of my coffee. Um, but next, a game that uh, didn't necessarily go in Conference USA's favor, uh, Wisconsin 34, Western Kentucky 3. 
Uh, I could really talk for a long time about this game, but I'll try and reel it in just for the sake of our our audience's attention span. Uh, first of all, Drew Eccles looked pretty uh, – he looked better than I thought he would. Uh, 15 of 26 for 170 uh, – 167 yards, I should say. Um just his deep passes were not quite there. Uh, missed a few of those balls that would have made uh, a big difference. But on short routes, I thought he was right on the money. Had his receivers uh, not dropped a few of those type of routes, again, uh, Western would have had a few more scoring chances in this game. Uh, run game, still very bad. Um, but uh, um, hopefully they'll get that together um, as the season moves along here. And as far as the offensive line goes, I was fully prepared for the O-line's performance to be a complete cluster. And they only gave up one sack in in two QB hurries. So I'm already really happy with how much better they're looking despite the youth. And that was against a Big Ten opponent, too. Um, Defensively, I can see that they're on the right track. I know that sounds weird saying that when they lost by 30 in this game, but I think Alex Hornerbrook and Jonathan Taylor are possibly the two best offensive players they're going to face this year. So really, aside from that second quarter where Wisconsin scored 17 points, the defense was hanging with this team for the most part, uh, Westerns was. Yeah, Joe, I'm not going to come in and be too critical of Western Kentucky. Um, you know, you, for those of us listening, Joe is our resident Western Kentucky guy. So I actually have a question for him regarding the quarterbacks after I, uh, after I state this. But, you know, I watched him on Mike Sanford's post game and I completely agree with him where one of the things he said was that Wisconsin, in his opinion, truly has the best offensive and defensive line unit in the country. And, you know, the Badgers, they're known historically for being strong offensive and defensive lines. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is, when you're coming in as a lower level opponent, if you can't necessarily win some of those matchups, and they weren't going to come and necessarily dominate Wisconsin's defensive line, but I do agree with you. They did come in and kind of at least compete and hold their own, but, uh, and I don't want to second-guess Mike Sanford. He said post-game that if he could do it again, he would run the trick play down there at the uh, in the red zone with Quinn Jernigan, but I think when you're coming in and you're trying to play a, a Big Ten-level team like Wisconsin, you got to kind of leave the, uh, the trick plays in, in the back of the uh, handbook and just go straight at them, but all in all, like I said, I'm not going to come here and be too critical of Western Kentucky they are a team that is replacing Mike White. Um, I'll go and just ask you this question off the top, Joe. Uh, do you think there's a possibility that we, we see Steve Duncan? Because you did mention uh, you were happy with the quarterback play as is. Uh, what do you think we see going forward? Um, you know, I, I that was kind of the speculation all throughout the summer that I think, given the choice whether or not they were going to start Drew Eccles or Steven Duncan in week one, I think a lot of... Uh, you know, pundits and media people are kind of leaning towards Stephen Duncan. Um, but I think we might have to rethink that now with the way Drew Eccles played in this game. Um, like I said, he really hung in there in the pocket, um, was able to find those guys in those short routes. Um, you know, I would, I would think they, at least let him start in this next game. Um, you have Maine coming up who I think is one of those games where there's a little bit of margin for error. Um, and it, I would think we'll, we'll see a little bit of Steven Duncan and kind of make that decision of who's the guy from there. Um, but, I mean, me personally, I've been the conductor of the Kavaris Thomas hype train ever since he committed to Western. So hopefully he gets in in a little bit here. I thought, we, I thought we'd see him a little bit against Wisconsin, and we didn't. We saw some of David Shanley, who's also good. But um, 
you know, that I guess that's my take on where the quarterback situation is now. And but I one more note about this what uh, this Wisconsin game. I completely disagreed with that trick play call in in the red zone there. Um I, I really don't understand why they did that. Just try to punch it in from there. Or try to give it to your tight end. They they did not target uh, McQuan Dean and Kyle Fortenberry enough, in my opinion. But, you know, you live, you learn, I guess. Yeah, you know, like, see, watching the postgame, Mike Sanford was very steadfast in saying that, hey, you know, when you call that kind of play, you trust in your players to execute. And we'll go ahead and talk about guys like Mike Dean uh, going forward for our, our preview of them versus Maine, because I have a couple notes on them as well as the quarterback situation. But, yeah, uh, you know, that's why we're here to kind of see, uh, analyze what we see. And, and this isn't, you know, coming down on Mike Sanford, but I, I am, I'm with you. I totally disagree on the play call down there in the right zone. Glad we agree on that. Um, but the next one, speaking of games that were not good for Conference USA's image right now, uh, Oklahoma 63, FAU 14, just an embarrassment on all fronts, really, for Lane Kiffin's squad. Uh, Devin Singletary was held to just 69 yards on the day with one touchdown. Uh, Kareth White had the other score late in the game there. Uh, 650 total yards for Oklahoma in this game. Minimal resistance from FAU's defense. Uh, they were just so bad. A ref had to go and make a tackle for them, so go look up that video. Um, I knew Oklahoma would win this game, but Eric, what the hell happened to the Owls here? You know what? I am just as surprised as you. Uh, I didn't expect a Lane Kiffin coach team to look overmatched, uh, and, and that's exactly what happened. I don't know if going into Gaylord Memorial Stadium down there in Norman was too much for them, or if Kyler Murray's just that good or what, but they came in and it wasn't even a contest. You know, I, that's a game that I had on as I was on the way to FAU, sorry, FIU, and it just seemed as if this game was lost before they even took the field. You know, I, I got into a few debates uh, on Twitter, because uh, to be honest with you, there's not much on the field for FAU to really analyze, mm-hmm. but I, I got into a few debates on Twitter as to um, people's coming in saying, oh, you know, the lane, the lane train is overhyped, you know, Lane Kiffin's overrated, FAU's overrated. I don't know how you feel, Joe, but this is still a really talented football team, and, and that's that's why you take games like this early on in the year, you know, to kind of test your team before you get to conference play. I'm still a believer in Jalen Young. I'm still a believer in Shelton Lewis. I'm still a believer in their defense, and I, I think Given this, uh, quite frankly, this embarrassment going forward, uh, I think you could see something similar uh, that happened with FAU last year where they got out to a slow start, and this was kind of the slap in the face that they needed, and, and they'll have things uh, going forward from here, you know, running on, a, on all cylinders. I would look forward to that UCF game. I don't think they're going to – they're not going to come into to Orlando and, and let something like that happen again. So, uh, I, you know, there's not much to really analyze as far as what happened in Oklahoma. They just got beat by apparently a better team. Uh, but I, going forward, I, I think FAU is going to be fine. Fair enough. I, I think you make a good point about comparing this to how they started last year. Uh, came out against Wisconsin, uh, didn't really look like they were ready to go, um, had some trouble against Buffalo as well, um, and then it really kind of started picking up after that. Um, so if you're an FAU fan, I know it's easy to overreact when you lose by almost 50, but you know, I think overall things are going to even out in a week or two. So uh, keep keep an eye on what Lane Kiffin's doing there. He's uh, he's still he's still the same guy he's always been. Um, 
Then we have Houston beating Rice 45 to 27. Rice actually led at the half in this game before getting completely uh, shut down in the second half. Uh, Ed Oliver was just a monster with 13 tackles, three and a half TFLs, uh, just lived in that Rice backfield. Three missed field goals for Rice on top of the turnover didn't really help things either. Uh, if there's a positive takeaway for the Rice Owls here, I guess there's really two. Uh, one, your punter is still really good. And two, I think it's that Sean Stankovich showed that he is absolutely the definitive QB1 on that team. Uh, 204 passing yards, three touchdowns, and just one interception. Um, so I think they really have their guy moving forward, uh, at least for this year, because he's only got one year left. Uh, but I think Rice's biggest issue is they need to play a complete game. You go back to that Prairie View game and uh, – just really were nowhere to be found for a lot of the first half. Uh, and then you come to this game, they play very well in the first half and then get completely shut down in the second half. So if they can kind of find a way to keep a consistent level of success throughout the entire game, then I think they're, they're going to end up, you know, being okay at some point. Joe, you mentioned one of the things that I have in my notes for Rice going forward next week against Hawaii as they have them at home. Mm -hmm. Rice really needs to play a complete ball game. So last pod, you know, I I mentioned that Rice couldn't take Prairie View A&M lightly, uh, that this wasn't the same Prairie View team that had lost 80 straight games in the 90s, and I went on and on and sang their praises. And sure enough, that's what happened. You know, they let that game, if my memory serves me correct, they won 31-28. It was only a three-point game. So, you know, for, for Rice, one of the things they need to do is put together a full full four quarters of football. This week against Houston in a battle of schools that are located five miles away from each other, you know that's going to be a rivalry game. You know that's going to be intense. And Rice really came out and started quick. Like you said, Sean uh, Stankovich came out and looked like Aaron Rodgers in the first half, throwing for three touchdowns. Uh, but for me, the story of the game, as you said, really came down to uh, Houston and their star players. Ed Oliver, what more can you say about him? He is the best defensive player in college football and maybe the best player in college football, period. Uh, but De'Ara King, I was really impressed with him. Uh, you know, uh, Sean Stankovich's QB counterpart, he really took over in the second half and showed why he could be a star in the making. You know, whether it's running or um, on the ground or uh, through the air, Rice had no answers for him, and, and that's the thing for Rice. If they just go play a, a full a four quarters of football, they're going to be okay in Conference USA. But you all have to be disappointed if you're a Rice fan because this is a game that was winnable. And coming off of the Prairie View game, you thought that they may come out a little more fired up. But uh, hopefully here in week week two, they'll be uh, they'll be ready to go. Sure. Anytime you lose to an in-town rival, it's it's going to be a little bit of a disappointment. But I think overall, Mike Bloomgren has that team taking baby steps in the direction that he wants to, um, which is more than I think we can say for you know some other teams who uh, are just brought in new coaching hires. Um, but. The other game we should get to here uh, against a Mac opponent, Marshall wins that game 35 to 28. Uh, Hurd survived a comeback attempt by the Redhawks in this game. Uh, Miami's QB, Gus Raglan, is going to have a big year. I can feel it. Uh, and then the other quarterback, uh, Isaiah Green, the redshirt freshman, first career start for him. And uh, the youngster looked great in there, 24-37 with uh, 272 yards and two touchdowns through the air. Um, on the other end of a lot of those passes was Tyree Brady. Also 
still going to have a big year. Had nine catches for 116 yards in this ball game with two touchdowns. Uh, my takeaway for Marshall from this game was I'm optimistic about what their offense is able to do, but uh, the defense and the secondary specifically might need to tighten up a bit. Uh, gave up like 350 yards to a Miami team here. You know, uh, Doc Holliday's ball club starts out 1-0, and, and like you said, the offense came out running it all cylinders. Tyree Brady showed why he is in that elite group of Conference USA receivers. Uh, but, you know, defensively, they're going to give up yards, like, like I said, you know, early on in the season. I think defense is one of those things that uh, as the season progresses, you know, your defense gets better. You know, it, it, every team can't be in Alabama or in Ohio State or such and such. It's going to have their defense running in all cylinders week one. Uh, a guy I liked on defense was Malik Gant, who had a nice ball game for Marshall with 12 tackles in the sack. Uh, my big takeaway going forward is is that the quarterback situation, you know, uh, it, it, you have the redshirt freshman who came in and had a nice ball game, but Alex Thomason came in as a grad transfer and, and has the shoulder issue now. So I think the question for Marshall fans is, does Isaiah Green have, have a stranglehold on that job, or, or do we see Alex Thomason going forward? Um, if, if any, if there would be a time to assess that, it would be this week coming up. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my takeaway from Marshall is that, you know, a nice ball game all the way around. Tyree Brady uh, is going to make any quarterback who's throwing him the ball look good. I would think so, too. Uh, so far, seeing more or less what we thought out of the Marshall Thundering Herd. Um, a team we did not see what we expected in this uh, week one game. Liberty beating Old Dominion 52-10. to Really nothing ODU tried to do this game went all that well. Uh, they were missing field goals, turning the ball over, uh, really just allowed Liberty to move the ball at will. Uh, the Flames quarterback, Stephen Calbert, threw four touchdowns. Uh, one game does not a season make, that's true. Uh, but ODU is a team that a lot of people, including myself, uh, had touted as a possible sleeper in the East, and they played like they were asleep, fittingly, for a lot of this game. If you heard last week's pod, you know I'm a huge fan of Stephen Williams. You know, he is a guy who came in and uh, I'll say it again until I'm blue in the face. He he started at, at the FBS level as a 17-year-old true freshman. Uh, the now 18-year-old sophomore is still a guy I like, but quite frankly, he didn't look good at all. Uh, before I go to, uh, to to bash an old Dominion, let's go ahead and give liberty their due. Uh, this is a team that not only were making their FBS debut, but they had four guys suspended last week, Joe, for violating team policies. Mm. Uh, you know, Liberty's a well-coached team. They have uh, Turner Gill, who was at the uh, the former coach at Buffalo, and and you know, for a team coming in and making their debut, they uh, they played really well. And let's give them all the credit. They didn't let the 90-minute weather delay stop them. They came out, they were fired up and ready to go. Uh, for Bobby Wilder's club, it's kind of back at the drawing board. Uh, they shut down Jeremy Cox as well, which would really surprise me because I, I think if you can, you know, imagine take away Stephen Williams in the passing game, that Jeremy Cox might be able to get something going. But for Old Dominion, you know, you ask what the hell happened to FAU? What the hell happened to Old Dominion? Uh, that'd be the question going forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, with this uh, this Old Dominion team, I think I saw, at times I saw the defensive line disrupting the backfield the way I thought they would. But really everything else, um, it just seems like they've got to show some big improvements very quickly if they want to fulfill, uh, you know, some of the expectations that that people bestowed upon them this year, which time will tell if they are able to do that, I guess. Um, speaking of expectations, Charlotte does not have high expectations for the year, but they started the year on a positive note this past weekend with a 34-10 to win over Fordham. 
definitely the way that you want to get things kicked off in the 2018 campaign. To my surprise, uh, we did not see Hassan Clue in this game. Chris Reynolds played the whole uh, the whole ball game at quarterback and looks pretty good. 267 yards on 13 completions. Uh, big day for Victor Tucker at wideout as well with seven catches for 127 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the Rice, or the Charlotte defense, I should say, held Fordham to negative nine net rushing yards on the day. Anytime you can do that, I would say that's a pretty big positive. Um, not a perfect game by any means by the 49ers. Uh, definitely could have used... Uh, some more points instead of punting five times, but Charlotte has now matched their win total from all of 2017 after week one. So, uh, Eric, your thoughts on that? Joe, forgive me for not having much. My honest opinion, blunt opinion on this game is if Charlotte couldn't beat an FCS team Fordham, then they might as well just go ahead and make the jump back to FCS themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm not truly, truly impressed with the, with the win. I will say this, um, we can put, you know, Brad Lambert watch to bed for one week as far as his hot seat. Uh, you mentioned being surprised that you didn't see Hassan Clue. Uh, I think that's the way you got to go to Brad Lambert. And I'm not saying that uh, Chris Reynolds versus Hassan Clue and you need to go one or the other. Um, or excuse me, I'm saying that you do need to go with one or the other the entire ball game. You know, he's a guy who, he's a guy in Brad Lambert who, you know, his job security is already in jeopardy. So just choose a quarterback and play him. You know, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the two quarterback system as is, and we'll get to that um, with FIU. But, you know, for Brad Lambert, you got to try to find one guy and just let him ride. Uh, I'm a big believer in quarterback rhythm. You know, once you get one going, let him stay. So hopefully the, uh, with Chris Brown's performance and Ben LeMay had a nice game on the ground as well, you just let them go going forward. Because uh, things are only going to get tougher from the next week as we'll, uh, as we'll preview going forward. That's an interesting point that you bring up about the whole two-quarterback system. I think a lot of casual football fans look at a team with two good quarterbacks, two starting caliber quarterbacks, and think, oh, this is great great. You know, if one gets tired, then we have another one that's really good. Or, you know, okay, great. We have one true pocket guy and another scrambler. But I think the reality is with any position, if you don't establish some kind of consistency and let one guy get in the rhythm, then ultimately you're not going to get the kind of results that you want. That's exactly the point I'm, I'm making, Joe. You know, your last line, you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, quarterback isn't running back. And, and I'm not saying that running backs uh, aren't, you know, creatures of habit and don't need rhythm as well. But, you know, it, that comes with the nature of their position. They're used to rotating out and maybe playing two or three guys, especially at the college level. As a quarterback, you know, it can't be one drive here and then I'm looking over my shoulder and wondering, all right, is the next guy coming in? Um you know, we'll talk about that a little bit, like I said, with FIU. Uh, I do like the way that Butch Davis did it, that he gave each quarterback three drives, so at least he didn't have to look over their shoulder. But just overall as a whole, as a philosophy, you know, once you've established a guy, you got to let him have the entire game so he's not looking over his shoulder wondering, all right, you know, I threw an errant pass. Uh, is the hook coming? So as we uh, you can move forward to the uh, Louisiana Tech game now. There's a management lesson in there somewhere, uh, future CEOs. If you don't have a comfortable work environment, then ultimately people aren't going to do their best. Uh, exactly. Yes. Louisiana Tech beat South Alabama 30-26 to 26, uh, over the weekend in uh, Mobile. Nice balance attack for Louisiana Tech in the win. Over 200 yards passing and over 200 yards rushing. As far as the defense goes, uh, kind of a tale of two halves. Played fantastic in the first half. 
half, let South Alabama sneak back in in the second half. Uh, I've been a big fan of Jamar Smith. I still am. But three interceptions for him in this game is not a good start to the 2018 campaign. So hopefully he can kind of reel it in as they as they move forward towards conference play here. Joe, I don't want to speak for you, but it sounds as if you were, you know, I don't want to necessarily want to say impressed, but you weren't discouraged by by the close game and, you know, them letting uh, South Alabama back into the ball game. You know, personally speaking, I, I I was kind of disappointed in that matchup for for Tech fans. They better be happy that they have Jacquez Dancy and Israel Tucker because uh, otherwise it's a game that South Alabama may have been able to come away with a victory. Um, South Alabama's team uh, that they're coached by first-year head coach Steve Campbell, who, uh, you know, he's a heck of a guy who uh, who did a great job at the FCS level at Central Arkansas. And, and he's, you know, he's going to get that program going in the right direction. But the main takeaway for me was you, that ball game can't be that close. And, and as I mentioned off the top, it's all about turnovers. You know, first game, I know you're anxious to go out there, you're anxious to make plays against a, a different team, but Jay Marsmith can't have three balls to the other team. So, you know, it, for, for Tech, they got the victory, and that obviously is the positive. But uh, you can, I think you should be able to put together a better performance versus South Alabama. That's fair. Um, I, I guess I didn't have the – initial negative reaction because of Jaquiz Stancy and just the fact that, you know, despite the three interceptions, uh, Jamar Smith was able to do a lot of positive things in that game. But I, I, I think that's a fair point. You know, you, you ultimately should be winning that game by, by more if you want to be a legit contender, uh, in your division. So, uh, the next game there, uh, Eric, your boys, Indiana, Beating FIU 38 to 28. Uh, your thoughts on this loss for the Panthers here? This was the game I was at, you know, as FIU speed writer, and and it's it's tough, right? You know, I'm, I got to the ball game uh, about two hours ahead of kickoff, and one of the things I noticed for FIU, Joe, is that they they took the field for warmups uh, about an hour and a half before kickoff, and they were fired up. They were bouncing all over the place, guys smacking each other on the helmet, on the shoulder pads, a lot of yelling, a lot of you know getting fired up, mm-hmm. and that's something you want to see. But one thing, one of the things that I didn't note is that Indiana. They didn't take the field till about 45 minutes before a kick. Joe, they were composed. They looked like this is just, you know, any other game. And you don't want to read too much into that because I did ask Bush Davis post game if he felt like his team, some of the mental mistakes, you know, the penalties, uh, the turnovers. Uh, Christian Alexander fumbled a snap from center. James Morgan had a pick six. If he felt that some of those things could have been because of nerves and the guys were too fired up, uh, he didn't believe so. He felt that his team, you know, had been well prepared all offseason. And, and I do think they'll bounce back from this. But, uh, you know, one of the things I just look for, Joe, is, is just consistency in this team. Because the story all offseason is how much of this team last year was the Alex Magoo show. And a positive that you can take away for, for Panther fans is that they put up 28 points in the past game was really uh, non-existent. James Morgan finished with 90 yards passing and Christian Alexander finished with 63 yards passing. So, uh, you know, for FIU going forward, there's still lots of hope. Uh, but Tom Allen's team just came in and really played a, a complete ball game. And you can't have uh, can't have three turnovers when you're trying to beat a Big Ten team. They're 1-27 going into that game against Power 5 schools. And now they that record falls to 1-28. And, and uh, a quick note is I asked Sage Lewis post game. Uh, 
about the defense. And he made a point that I hadn't thought of, and Bush Davis did emphasize this as well. You know, while the team is very talented, they got, you know, four-star T.R. Tate, four-star Talon Humphrey, four-star this guy, three-star that guy. A lot of these guys haven't played together in a game situation. And, and Sage Lewis said that, you know, for, for, for them, they had six or seven guys. It was their first time really getting out there and playing together against another team. So I, I think they'll bounce back against Old Dominion and, and, a big thing for FIU is they're going to have to get the quarterback situation straightened out. You know, I don't want to ramble on too much about James Morgan and Christian Alexander, but as I said earlier, I think once you establish a guy, you've got to let that guy ride. Um, James Morgan did come out and start the game. He was announced as a starter about 20 minutes pre, uh, prior to kickoff. That was the, the secret that Butch Davis had been holding, you know, uh, close to the vest for the entire offseason. And he didn't look great in the first three drives. Christian Alexander came out and provided a spark. But in the second half, he really showed why he's so coveted. Uh, Joe, the ball just jumps off his arm when you see it live. He's a big guy. He has all the talent in the world. So I'd like to see him come out and establish a quarterback. And I think he'll bounce back going forward against Old Dominion. Sure. Um, you kind of mentioned the defensive line and some of the big – uh, big name recruits that are in that group. What was your personal opinion of how they played in that game? It, 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 I don't want to come down on the D line too much. Um, one thing, and Butch Davis said this, is that Furman Silva, who is their all star, you know, defensive and hybrid linebacker, mm-hmm. one of the things that FIU wanted to do was have him stand up and rush the passer from that position. But because Indiana came out and they were in four and, and three and four receiver sets the entire game, that forced Furman Silva to put his, his, his hand in the dirt as a D end. And that kind of affected some of the rotation. So I don't want to, you know, criticize some FIU fans were kind of tough on the D line going for, um, after this game. Going forward, I think D line's going to be fine. Uh, it's just that FIU, excuse me, Indiana came out with a, with a really great strategy in that day. They, to probably 75-80% of the game were in four receiver sets, and that's going to make things tough. Uh, Peyton Ramsey, Joe, had that ball out of his hands within three to four seconds virtually the entire game. So uh, the D-line will be there. That's that's not an issue. And, and remember, Indiana, while they're not the class of the Big Ten, they still are a Big Ten team. So uh, the, you can take that uh, as far as the D-line is concerned. Fair enough. Um Moving on to a game where uh, we more or less saw what we thought we were going to get. Uh, Southern Miss 55, Jackson State 7. Really loved what I saw out of the, the quarterback, Jack Abraham, 21 of 27 for 242 yards, four touchdowns, uh, three to Mr. Kez Watkins. Uh, not really a definitive guy there running back for Southern Miss, but they didn't really need it, to be honest, with how well the former uh, Louisiana Louisiana Tech and Juco guy played there. So uh, also a 46-yard field goal for Parker Seanfield as well. Uh, his hyped campaign for uh, special teams player of the year in Conference USA continues. Um, with this kind of game, it's hard to take too much away when you play an opponent that was uh, as bad last year as Jackson State was. But I think Southern Miss fans can walk away from this game knowing at least uh, with all of the you know turmoil, I guess, over the offseason with uh, uh, Quadra Griggs getting suspended, and then you have uh, the other quarterback whose name is I'm blanking on right now, uh, transferring to Tulane, uh, I think you are going to be just fine with Jack Abraham back there. Well, you know, Joe, the big question coming into this game was someone at the QB Southern Miss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, Jack Abraham, he did his best 
job of kind of answering that question. Uh, and this question isn't necessarily for you. I think it's for Southern Miss as a whole. What do you do when Quadro Griggs is, uh, you know, back? Or, or now will that, will that suspension, it, it's listed right now as an indefinite suspension. So will we see him? I don't know. Um, but Quadro Griggs had a hell of a year last year. You know, uh, Jack Abraham with his performance does have a, a chance to kind of put a stranglehold on the job. Uh, I can say this. Quez Watkins looked like a beast. You know, he looked like a guy who was ready for prime time, you know, getting the end zone three times and the, and the punt return as well. Uh, whoever's quarterbacking for, for Southern Miss is going to be fine if they can get the ball in his hands. But I think that's still the question going forward. Can Jack Abraham kind of put a stranglehold on this job and say, hey, you know, I'm the guy in Quadra Griggs, you know, hey, tough, but, you know, your Southern Miss career uh, is over. We'll see how, what happens going forward, but that's kind of my big prevailing question for Southern Miss. Yeah, I think – we more or less got our answer. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely see kind of moving forward, like you said, once Quadra Griggs comes back. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought the kid looked fantastic, you know. And if I'm Jay Hobson, I'm, I would probably just kind of stick with him unless, you know, Quadra Griggs comes back and, uh, you know, does something crazy in practice. But just. No, no, I, I hear you. I mean, uh, he did look great. And, and, uh, I guess. I guess my main thing, Joe, is when you have a guy who had such a good year last year, mm-hmm. you know, what happens if Jack Abraham has has a rough half against a conference team? You know, and, and Quadra Giggs is suspended and the fans are saying, all right, you know, can we take the suspension off and get him back on the field? And, and that quarterback you were blanking on was Keon Howard, who transferred to Tulane. Yes. You know, so, right. So uh, th- I guess that's my thing going forward is, is I'm a huge believer in, in, in just establishing your quarterback. And, and if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. So uh, Jack Abraham did his job well against uh, Jackson State, but it is Jackson State. So when you get into Conference USA play, uh, you'd like to see him keep up that same level of play as well. That's fair. I think more or less I'm just kind of delaying talking about North Texas and SMU. So uh, either way. Yeah, man, what, what, what happened? Uh, you seemed like you had, a, like you had a little rough go at it with uh, UNT and uh, SMU. Yeah, more or less. I'll give full credit to, first of all, Mason Fine looked absolutely fantastic. 444 yards, three touchdowns on the day for him. I knew he was going to play really well. Uh, he is the preseason offensive player of the year for a reason. Uh, also the pick six for the UNC defense and a 96 yard, uh, touchdown, uh, kick return for DeAndre Torrey helped as well. Really complete win for the Mean Green. Um, over the offseason, I have just kind of looked at that UNT defense and thought, eh, you know, I, I don't know that they have enough there to kind of repeat that, you know, division title that they had last season. And basically, I looked at SMU's offense and thought, I think they're going to get a leg up on them because of that. UNT's defense proved me wrong. I will fully admit that. They played a very complete game and did what they needed to do to get the victory essentially from about the third quarter on in this game north texas fans were in my twitter mentions saying mean things to me (laughs) and i deserve i deserve you know i deserve some of them feel free to call me out on when i pick games wrong but some of y'all are ruthless (laughs) but hey i'll just my closing thought on that game is north texas is much Clearly, much better than I thought they were, and full credit to them. You know, Joe. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't think you were out of line in questioning UNTD. Um, you know, fan is short for fanatic, so sometimes you know fans can kind of lose perspective. Uh, but I, I 
think anybody who, who watched North Texas last year would, would say, hey, you know, Mason Fine is the real deal, and he showed that again uh, uh, this game against SMU. But it's, it's only a logical, <laughs> a logical question to question the defense, so I, I don't think you were out of line there. Although, let's go ahead and give them credit. Uh, they did a phenomenal job of, of taking away one of my favorite receivers in the American Conference, and James Proche. You know, he's a really electrifying player. Uh, they took him out of the ball game. Uh, kept Ben Hicks to, I believe it was exactly 50% completion percentage. That won't cut it for the Mustangs. So, yeah, I mean, nice win for UNT. You know, you beat a, a rival in, in SMU uh, in that North Texas area, uh, uh, Denton and Dallas. And, and, yeah, I mean, you know, they had, they had a great game. Jalen Guyton as well hauled in two TDs. Um, but I I guess I feel like I'm coming to your defense here because I, I don't feel like you were out of line in questioning the, uh, the North Texas team. But, hey, you know, they showed up and stepped up. So good for uh, Mean Green fans. <laughs> The, the general hatred of that fan base towards the site continues then if we were in agreement about questioning their fan base or their, their defense, I should say. Uh, but you know, we'll see moving forward. I think they're overall, they're a very good team. Um, Mason Fine is a fantastic quarterback and you know, clearly there's some playmakers on that defense. Um, you know who does not really have any playmakers to speak of? UTEP, because they lost to Northern Arizona 30 to 10. Things are looking bleak in El Paso right now. Uh, three turnovers for the Miners in that game. And the highlight for them really was the 32-yard touchdown run by uh, Quadres Wadley uh, late in the game there. And, Eric, it's looking likely that UTEP is just not going to win a game this year if you look at the rest of that schedule. Well, yeah, if, if UTEP were going to win a game, you would think it'd be this one against the Lumberjacks of uh, Northern Arizona. Unfortunately for minor fans, that wasn't the case. In year one of the Dana Demel era began with, uh, as you said, a, a loss. And he has his work cut out for him here. You know, uh, for for minor fans, one of the things you can take away, and I'm trying to find some positives here, is you have a veteran head coach who's had stops at, at Houston and Wyoming. So at least this isn't his first rodeo as a, as a college head coach. And I'm going to try to give minor fans uh, something to look forward to. Is I like Kyle a lot. You know, he's a uh, the former Texas quarterback and receiver. You know, he's a guy who, you know, as a kid, how can you not root for him? Um, uh, on a kind of a somber note, he's a guy who had a, his brother killed last year, and, and he, he self-admittedly said that he had some maturity issues at Texas. But uh, Loxley, who you may or may not know uh, for fans, and, and Joe is, is the son of Alabama offensive coordinator um, Mike Loxley. So he comes from a, from a football pedigree, and, and, and it seems that he's got his issues all together now. But They've got to build with him and start somewhere. So there's nowhere to go uh, from uh, for minor fans but up, but it looks like it could be a long road ahead. Very true. Um, to rub salt in the wound, uh, Dana Dimmel's son, the uh, fullback, who was one of the premier kind of transfer gets for the minors in the offseason, had, uh, had a fumble that was lost uh, to that FCS squad. So hopefully they can kind of reel it all in and, you know, put something together this year because I know minor fans are just are hungry for something to cheer about right now. Um, Vandy beat Middle Tennessee 35-7. to uh, over the weekend, and that's more or less what I expected from this game. Um, tied at the end of the first quarter, uh, in Vandy's defense, though, they made a few big plays that were really the difference makers. Uh, had a fumble return for a touchdown in the first half, and then just completely shut down Brent Stockstill in the second half. Uh, picked him as well. So, you know, I, I think it's tough anytime you go against SEC competition, but um, as far as Middle Tennessee's complete 
team outlook goes. Um, I really haven't seen anything from them in the offseason, and certainly not in this game that made me think they are, uh, you know, headed to uh, an astronomically fantastic year in Brent Stockstill's final campaign. I have a feeling I'm going to have uh, Middle Tennessee State fans in, in my mentions here because I, you know, can we just go ahead and say it now? They're going to be four and eight or, or five and seven. You know, is that what we see tops for them? Because that's that's pretty much all I see. Um, you know, looking at my notes here, you pretty much touched on a lot of the things that I saw. You know, uh, they held tough for a quarter before mistakes and Kyle Schumer kind of ended any hopes of a P5 win for for MTSU. Uh, Brent Stockstill was kind of neutralized at the Fandy defense. Uh, shut him down and Vandy had anything they wanted on the offensive side. So just overall good win for the Commodores in every phase of the game. And, and yeah, I mean, I think we kind of know what we have here for, for Middle Tennessee State is a, is a four or five win team max. Yeah, that's more or less what I've been saying about them for the past few months. Um, just, I, I don't see too much there to really be excited about if you are a Blue Raider fan, but, uh, you know, I can be surprised, but yeah, I think they either just miss a bowl game or maybe they end up as one of those, those five and seven bowl teams. Uh, so, I don't know. But, um, speaking of teams I don't really know how to glean too much from uh, UTSA losing to Arizona State 49-7. to And the reason I'm saying I can't glean too much from this game is because Nikhil Harry and Manny Wilkins are just fantastic. They're going to score a lot of points and uh, give a lot of defensive fits this year. Um, however, you also can't uh, turn the ball over three times and expect to keep the game competitive the way that UTSA did. You know, for those of you listening, Joe and I do record this podcast from separate places, but if you look at our notes, it wouldn't appear that way because the first thing I have in my notes is that Manny Wilkins is one of the premier quarterbacks in college football. Mm-hmm. You know, so what more can you expect from UTSA? Uh, he showed why he sent Brady White packing in Memphis and Blake Barnett going to USF. You know, so I, there's only so much UTSA can do. And it seems like uh, I'm kind of a, you know, just repeating the same thing over and over because for UTSA, they got to find a quarterback. You know, our guy, Jared, Jared Thomas, uh, I was following him on Twitter a little bit during the game, and and uh, <laughs> he he said that DJ Gillings, you can kind of see why he's so exciting, but you want to see more consistency out of him. Personally, I'd like to see him at quarterback. You know, uh, UTSA is a team that, quite frankly, I, I think four wins was kind of their ceiling heading into this year, so why not take the, uh, the exciting transferring Gillings and let him see what he can do, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, their run defense was atrocious. They gave up over 250 on the ground. They were really overmatched by, by Sun Devils going forward. This is a game that really got ugly um, early. And, and, yeah, just go ahead and establish who your quarterback is. And I'd like to see more of DJ Gillings. I think he, he went three for ten. Uh, he had a couple of uh, pass attempts late. So just go ahead and find, find out what you have at a quarterback and go from there. I completely agree. Uh, hopefully they kind of figure out those uh, position battles soon. Um, not really something you want to be figuring out as the season goes on, especially when uh, you're just kind of outmatched in terms of talent in some of these games the way they were against Arizona State. Um, so that kind of wraps up the week one review. Um, Eric, after all we've talked about, what would you say was your biggest week one surprise in Conference USA? 
and I'm supposed to be limited to one thing here, but I kind of scribbled down three things as notes. Uh, sure. One, FAU. I, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting to win the ball game, although uh, I, I did think that that might have been a possibility. I just didn't expect them to come in and look overmatched. Uh, you know, this is a team that they – an interesting thing, Joe, is this. You know, when you come in all offseason, you're kind of the darling of, of, of you know, the media types and, and the darling of the fans saying, hey, you know, this could be the, the G5 school that's going to come in and make some noise. And, you know, they've had the spotlight on them all season. Uh, take a, a team like UCF, for example. You know, they've created a lot of the, the uh, disdain for them. Uh, with uh, their fans on Twitter and doing things like, you know, uh, the national championship run, et cetera. Um, but they came out and showed why they were the team they would by, by their performance against UConn. For FAU, you had all offseason to kind of, you know, reel on that expectation and say, hey, you know, we're out to prove why uh, we're such a hot and trendy team. And they really just laid an egg uh, out there at, uh, at Oklahoma. So that's one. And the other is just ODU as a whole, uh, especially Stephen Williams. But uh, ODU as a whole, I, I just don't know what the hell happened to them. So those are the two things I had scribbled down as my uh, great surprise. So what about you, Joe? I was going to say Old Dominion as well. Um, really thought they were going to keep that Liberty game uh, closer than it was at the very least. Um, like you mentioned, we had high expectations for Stephen Williams this year, had even higher expectations for that defensive line who played okay but uh, still couldn't really get uh, the kind of plush pressure that you want against a guy like Stephen Calvert. Um so I think that's probably my biggest one. I was also surprised by FAU not even putting up something resembling a fight against Oklahoma. Um, and again, was also very surprised by what North Texas was able to do. Um, but <laughs> we don't have to so go I, back. I tried, I tried to give you out on North Texas and you, you went right back in. So I guess <laughs> it's going to be another week of Michigan Green fans in your mentions, right? I'm a sucker for pain, Eric. But I can't. <laughs> I can't stop. Um, but, yeah, I would say there was definitely a few um, results that I did not see coming. But I think the biggest one for me was that Old Dominion game. And they have time to rebound. But I think just because it was a rivalry game, I really expected them to come out with a little more fire than they did. Um, moving into the week two previews then. Um, first one on the docket, Western Kentucky against Maine. Um, this is going to be the top's first win of the year at 6.30 Central Time in Bowling Green, and that one's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Um, I, I Like I said, I have Western Kentucky winning this game. I'm going to go with somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 28-10, to 10, uh, possibly more. I'm interested to see what they do with the quarterback. Like we said, I think Drew Eccles is, uh, you know, he's, he's shown that he is ready for this stage. I think the offensive line, if they can clean up, the penalties and some of just the typical young guy mistakes, I think they'll be all right. Um, and then defensively, I think they have some good playmakers there. Uh, Masai White looked great. Um, you know, the defensive line looked pretty solid. The whole issue with them is can they stay healthy? Um, but, you know, bottom line, I think this is, this is Western's tune-up game as they come off of that big loss to uh, Wisconsin and get ready for some of the more meaningful games on their schedule, I guess. All right, Joe, I don't know if you're ready for this or not. <laughs> I'm picking Maine in this ball game. Oh, no. Okay. Why? <laughs> uh, here we go. 
football. So one thing is, you know, Western Kentucky, they've got to clean up some of the mistakes. But my main risk for picking Maine is this isn't a, a bad FCS team. They're coming off a great win at home in which they beat the number seven team in, in uh, FCS in, uh, in New Hampshire. And they, they handily outgained them uh, going uh, uh, 460 yards in offense to 119. Uh, they've got two guys in Chris Ferguson and Jaquan Blair, a quarterback and receiver who can, who can make plays. And to be quite honest, uh, I think Western Kentucky really kind of just kind of shell-shocked going in there up to Camp Randall Stadium in Wisconsin. And um, I, I don't look for this to be just, you know, a, a tune-up game for Western Kentucky. I think Maine can come in and, and pull off the upset. I really hope, for Mike Sanford's sake, you're wrong because you're talking about a fan base that was calling for his job like two weeks into his tenure, unfortunately. Right. So, you know, for, I, I I really hope you're wrong, and I hope the Tops can uh, get a victory against the Black Bears. Um, next game on that Saturday slate at 2 p.m. Eastern time in sunny Boca Raton the FAU Owls hosting Air Force. Um, this is going to be interesting because the biggest thing in the Oklahoma game was just the way that Kyler Murray picked them apart. And the good news for the Owls, Air Force doesn't throw. So I think that's going to work in their favor. I think they're going to get it back on track and win, but they are only favored by 10 right now, and I think that's pretty fair. I think they're going to end up taking this one uh, like 35 to like 24. Yeah, Joe, I'm with you. You know, this one's really all about FAU for me. You know, no disrespect to Air Force is, is they're not really a threat to the Owls, in my opinion. Uh, what I want to see come out for, for FAU is establish who the quarterback is. Will the quarterback for FAU please stand up, whether, whether it's Robson or DeAndre Johnson? Uh, the FAU defense will bounce back, and, and I expect a huge game from Devin Singletary early and often to, to touch the ball and get in the end zone. So FAU will go ahead and take this one easily. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, speaking of Air Force, if you're looking for more coverage on them, you can go check out SB Nation's new uh, Service Academy Athletics blog, Against All Enemies is what it's called. Um, they just started already doing some very cool stuff related to Army, Navy, and Air Force uh, football, basketball, and all that you know, sports-related things. Um, next one on the docket here for Conference USA, Charlotte hosting Appalachian State in what might as well be the 49ers Super Bowl, uh, 6 p.m. there at McCall Richardson Field. Appalachian State, of course, coming off a game where they were this close to upsetting the Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, App State favored by 14 in this one. I think they're going to go ahead and win the game by more than that, probably by three touchdowns. Uh, if I had to give a score prediction, I'm going to say something in the neighborhood of like 35 to 14. Joe, uh, when we were talking about Charlotte's win uh, over Fordham, I said that Brad Lambert's hot seat was cool. Well, it's only cool for a couple of days because, you know, that, that intensity will pick right back up. Mm-hmm. App State is a team that, that should have beaten Penn State last week. You know, for Scott Satterfield's team, uh, he's doing a great job there. They've won 30 games in three years. And, and you know, to be honest, Charlotte has a better chance of getting Jerry Richardson's name off their stadium than they do beating App State. So uh, mm-hmm. this is going to be an easy win for, for Appalachian State. 
For sure, for sure. Um, next one on the docket then, Marshall hosting Eastern Kentucky in Huntington, 6.30 Eastern. Uh, I don't really see too much of an issue for Marshall here as long as that, uh, that defensive secondary doesn't have a complete meltdown, which I don't think they will. Uh, I think they are moving forward nicely with all the offensive talent they have. Um, and like you mentioned, we'll see what they do with quarterback here because I think they have a little more room for error. Uh, do they go with the redshirt freshman or do they go with the grad transfer? So I think that's something to keep an eye on in this one as Marshall wins this game pretty handily by, you know, probably three touchdowns. Yeah, this is this this one shouldn't be a, much of a contest for Marshall. You know, I think the Tyree Brady show will continue. Uh, personally, I'd like to see if Alex Thomason can go. Uh, just you know, he doesn't have to get a, an entire half, but I'd like to see him get a quarter in just to see if if he can be you know even a viable backup option. If not, you know, push for that starting uh, position uh, for Eastern Kentucky. You know, Mike Elder's club not a, a nice W last week, but that's about it. Uh, not expecting an upset at Jones Edwards Stadium for Eastern Kentucky. Uh, Marshall should win this one by three touchdowns. One more note I wanted to tack on here. Um, as I kind of go through these games, they have uh, tickets that you can get uh, for the games and kind of what the minimum price is. For Marshall Eastern Kentucky, $19. Uh, Florida Atlantic Air Force, $6. Maine Western Kentucky, $21. Charlotte hosting App State, the lowest price ticket you can get right now, $111. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I I guess I I'm gonna chalk that up to App State fans in the Charlotte area really wanting you know embracing the opportunity to see that team play. I think that's gonna be more or less a home game for the Mountaineers. All right, all right Joe. You know I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Okay. Would you pay 120 dollars to watch that game? No. <laughs> No. Would you pay six? Would you pay sixty dollars to watch that game? I'm honestly, I'm chalking up whether or not I want to like make a fake email to get a free trial of ESPN Plus to watch that game. <laughs> All right, I just want to make sure we're on the same page there. We're on the same. Um, page. That, yeah, that caught me completely off guard. So. I know, right? Um, a game you can get into for ten bucks. Uh, Middle Tennessee hosting UT Martin in Murfreesboro, uh, six p.m. local time. There, I think Middle Tennessee is going to take this one. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about how we don't have very high expectations for Middle on the year, but I think this is a game that uh, they have a pretty decent shot of winning. Yeah, you know, uh, no pushback here for me. You know, I'd like to see uh, the Brenton Red. Brent and Rick Stockskill combination pushed the ball down the field. Uh, this is really an inferior opponent in, in UT Martin. Uh, I want to see them strike early and, and, and kind of make a statement that last week wasn't them being overmatched. Uh, because guess what? You know, next week they've got to head to Athens, Georgia, and that, that ain't going to be easy. Very true. Uh, Louisiana Tech hosting Southern at 6 p.m. in Ruston there. Uh, should be a pretty solid win for Tech. Uh, Southern, I believe, coming off a loss to Texas Christian on the road. Um, just like we talked about, if Jamar Smith can kind of clean it up a little bit, then I think they'll be in very good shape. They have a good balanced offensive attack going with Jaquise dancing in the backfield. Um, so I'm expecting Tech to win this one fairly easily. You know, Joe, my mom kind of said to me, uh, if you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all. <laughs> so, for, so for Southern, they have a phenomenal band. That's, That's true. They really do. <laughs> I, 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 I 
would like to see uh, for for Louisiana Tech, Jamar Smith, no turnovers. The, you cannot you cannot play sloppy against Southern. Not that they're they're a threat to win, but you know what can you take going forward if you're committing you know uh, interceptions and fumbles and turnovers against Southern. So uh, this should be the Jamar Smith show. You know Louisiana Tech should be able to run all over this team. Uh, easy win for Tech. I would hope so. Uh, another Louisiana team in action against the Conference USA opponent, UL Monroe, heading to Hattiesburg to play Southern Mississippi, uh, 6 p.m. local time on ESPN3. Um, I USM's only favored by five, and I, I don't totally understand why. I think they're going to be significantly better than that, although UL Monroe um, you know, has played pretty well over the last couple years, and they, they started the year 1-0 uh, with that victory against uh, Southeastern Louisiana, 34-31. to And see... You know, Southeastern Louisiana is a pretty good FCS team, but um, had they won that game by a little bit bigger of a margin, I'd be a little more concerned. But I think Southern Miss takes this one by two touchdowns. Yeah, you know, Joe, did you say it's only a five, five-and-a-half point uh, spread for this game? Five-point, yeah, five-point line, yeah. That's that's surprising because I, I think this would be, you know, at least a 21-point victory for Southern Miss. Um, just the things I'm looking for – for the Golden Eagles, Jack Abraham, go ahead and take this QB job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to see him, uh, see if he can do that. And, and, you know, unfortunately for Quadra Griggs, you know, he got himself suspended and, and he is a senior, so it could kind of be the final nail in his Southern Miss career. Uh, Quez Watkins can go out and establish himself as one of the premier dynamic receivers in Conference USA. Let's see it happen. Uh, easy win for Southern Miss. For sure. UAB heading to Coastal Carolina. Uh, UAB favored by 10 in this one at 7 p.m. Eastern time, ESPN+. Plus. Um, I'm taking UAB. Uh, I think that's a pretty fair line uh, from I, what I remember. I believe they played last year, and this was a pretty – uh, pretty close game, so uh, I'm going to take UAB uh, cleaning up some of the mistakes that they had against Savannah State, really pushing forward with that uh, star-studded rushing attack, and uh, I'm going to take them by 14 here. Joe, I just want to see UAB, you know, just run the ball right down Coastal's throat. Um, you know, this shouldn't be much of a contest when you got guys like Spencer Brown. You know, they clearly are the better team. And, and just want to show some love for A.J. Early's quarterback. I, I love everything he does. He doesn't try to play outside of himself. You know, th- that term game manager is kind of a dirty word, dirty phrase. And I, in this case, I don't think it is because you have a guy who's not going to turn the football over. He's going to make the throws that you ask him to make and can provide a big play when uh, – when called upon. So easy win for UAB going forward. For sure. Uh, Conference USA team looking to repeat success against the P5 team that they had last year, UTSA hosting Baylor in the Alamo Dome. Um, I don't have super high hopes for this game, although uh, Baylor is a team that uh, is coming off a win against uh, Abilene Christian, 55 to 27. So I think UTSA is going to put up a little bit more of a fight. Uh, Baylor, you know, not surprisingly, I guess, having some issues with that defense. Um, if UTSA wins, fantastic, but I, I don't really see that happening here. 
Yeah, you know, you said uh, your intro to this game matchup was UTSA was looking to uh, repeat last year. Well, I can tell you right now they're not going to repeat last year. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen. Baylor's going to come in uh, and should win this game handily by 21 or, or 28 points, three or four scores. For for UTSA, if you're a fan, of, you know, what you're looking for is quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. You know, who's going to step up? As a team, I just kind of like to see them show more life. You know, they, they were really dominated by, by Arizona State. Manny Wilkins and the Sun Devils had their way. Uh, so you just want to see them be more competitive against a team that, yes, they did beat last year, but they have no shot against Baylor. Um, Baylor, you, you know, they're, they're a team that's been well-documented. You know, from them, what can you expect outside of a victory? And, and they've got an entire different set of issues that are, aren't related to football. So, you know, they'll go ahead and get the win, and, and going forward, they're looking to just to kind of change their entire sports culture at Baylor. But as far as on the field goes, uh, no issue for the Bears. I would think so. Uh, Old Dominion hosting FIU in Norfolk, uh, 7.30 Eastern time. Old Dominion favored by one here. This is going to be an interesting game. I think we have, you know, the quarterback play of FIU and them still trying to find a definitive guy against that Old Dominion defensive line. And then on the other side, we have, you know, Stephen Williams still kind of showing a little bit of growing pains against FIU's defensive line. So I'm a little torn on this one, but um, especially after Old Dominion played the way they did last week. But... um I don't know, Eric. What are you thinking here? Yeah, um, I, you should see my face when you said that OD was favored by one. Because I, I kind of cringed when I saw that. You know, it, I, 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 I'd like to think that I'm not being overly optimistic about the Panthers because I, quite frankly, I, I thought this was a game. Let's say that they had looked a little more competitive against Indiana or even won the game. Uh, I, I would have thought that this would have been at least a, a seven or eight point spread against ODU. So what I'm looking for going forward. It's James, James Morgan and Christian, uh, Christian Alexander round two. Uh, we'll see who's going to come out and kind of, you know, kind of put a stranglehold on this quarterback job. Butch Davis did say post game that look, this is how it's going to work. You know, we'll play both guys until one of them steps up and takes the job. So we'll have another matchup, uh, James Morgan versus Christian Alexander. CJ Warden stepped up and, and had a great game. He's a guy who was a former University of Florida Gator, was put on scholarship in the offseason and uh, was the team's leading receiver. For FIU, run, 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 run. I say it four times because they have four running backs who are capable of getting the job done. Sean Darius, Phillips, Devontae Price, Tony Jones, who came back last year um, after missing all of last year and had a great game with two scores and Napoleon Maxwell. For for ODU, um, like I said, if you want to see Stephen Williams bounce back, uh, a matchup to look for, Joe, is is Stephen Williams versus the FIU pass defense and Jonathan Duhort versus Ike Brown uh, at wide receiver and corner. Uh, FIU's pass defense, they're a team that, that their pass defense has to get better. You know, um, they didn't really um, provide any type of challenge for Peyton Ramsey in, in, in Indiana. Uh, Indiana has a big six foot five, 230-pound target in Donovan Hale, who had, uh, had a big game against the Panthers, and, and I want to see if they're up to the challenge of kind of stopping Jonathan Duhort. Um, the pass defense, excuse me, the, um, the offensive line versus Akshane Zimenez, uh, that's going to be a matchup to look for. You know, Kai Abishir is a life, this, as a left tackle for the Panthers, that's going to be his responsibility most of the night. Um, I'd like to see them rotate Abishir and a, a guy who was committed to the University of Georgia but ended up at FIU and Deontay uh, Demery. Uh, they need to make sure that they're keeping whoever is at quarterback clean, especially James Morgan, because he's a guy who's not the most mobile guy back there in the pocket. But overall, uh, I'm picking the Panthers. I, I think FIU will bounce back and win this game uh, by, by 7 or 10. 
Fair enough. Uh, that's kind of what I was initially thinking too, unless Old Dominion just, you know, comes out with that fire in their stomach from seeing that, some, you know, feeling that loss against Liberty. Uh, I didn't think an FIU is going to take this one as well. They better come out with something. Something. <laughs> yeah, because getting spoke by Liberty that bad, you know, they, they got to come out with something, so I'm right there with you. For sure. Um, speaking of getting smoked, I think North Texas is going to do that to Incarnate Word at uh, 6.30 in Denton on ESPN+. Plus. Um, North Texas playing really well right now. Incarnate Word, um, FCS opponent, and not a very good one at that. Um, easy win for the Mean Green, in my opinion. Three short things on this game. 70 points is a must for UNT. Mason Fine should throw seven touchdowns. Jalen Guyton should catch three. Uh, no real pushback from Incarnate Word. You know, this one won't be close. Fair enough. <clears throat> and then uh, I don't think this next one's going to be too close either. Uh, UTEP going to Las Vegas to face UNLV at uh, – believe that's 6 p.m. Pacific time in Las Vegas. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, but It is 6 Pacific, Joe. You're right on oh, that. Just fine. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, UNLV favored by 24 and a half. I think that's pretty fair. Nothing UTEP's shown me uh, in that Northern Arizona game really made me think uh, they have a chance here. And UNLV, while they weren't able to get a win in week one uh, against USC, I thought they played decently well, especially for, uh, you know, playing a top 15 team in the nation. Um, and frankly, I think that whole Mountain West conference is pretty fantastic this year. Um, so I, I think UTEP loses this one, and uh, it's by about 24, like the uh, like the gambling experts say. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned the gambling experts in, in the, the home of gambling in America in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to turn turn this into the uh, the UNLV show here, but, uh, you know, I love what Tony Sanchez is doing out there in Vegas. You know, he's really gotten excitement and a buzz around that team. Uh, our, their quarterback, Armani Rogers, is a stud. You know, he's a dual threat run pass guy. Uh, Lexington Thomas is a big running back at six foot, 225 pounds, and he's going to do a good job on the ground. Um, this game, I, for the record, I do believe that UNLV will win. Although it does have a little bit of trap potential, uh, trap game potential for UNLV. Uh, if you remember last year, uh, UNLV came in, uh, I, if my memory serves me correct, it is the biggest upset in college football history in terms of the spread um, because UNLV was upset by Howard in a, in a game that I believe UNLV was favored by 51 points. Uh, if my memory's off on that, someone can let me know. Mm-hmm. But they did lose to Howard and they were upset. So that's a little bit of trap game. Uh, UNLV, they'll be missing Darren Woods Jr. Uh, don't believe he's going to play. He's out with a concussion. And uh, Kai Loxley versus the UNLV pass defense that gave up 290 yards passing against SC. Uh, those are some things you can look for. But uh, overall, I think UNLV, they remember what happened to them last year and the embarrassment against Howard. Uh, I say they win this one easily. I would agree. Um, and then closing out the slate of Conference USA games this week, uh, Rice heading to Hawaii at uh, 9 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, I'm not sure what that is Hawaii time. I, I think it's like nine. I think it's like seven o'clock. It's, it's, it's three hours. It's three, three hours. So if it's nine, it's nine Pacific. It should be uh, should be six uh, Hawaii time. Perfect. If anybody wants to buy me a plane ticket so I can truly observe the magic of Hawaii time zone, great. Um, but Hawaii is a team that's looked really great to start the year. Uh, I still have my concerns about whether or not Rice can play a complete game. Uh, if they are able to do that, then this game could be close. But right now, Hawaii is favored by 17. 
I think they win this game by 14. I don't know that they necessarily, you know, take, you know, follow through on winning by a full 17 points, but I do think they're going to be able to beat Rice at home here. For for the benefit of those listening, I'm I'm not just some weird time zone nerd. I just have this thing pulled up on my on my, on my computer, so I want to make sure that you know I'm not just a time zone expert who can uh, fill those things in. Um, <laughs> I, I I think I think uh, Hawaii the Warriors are back to being a team that could uh, that can make some noise uh, in the national waves. If you remember Hawaii, you know about five ten years ago under June Jones, they were known for just throwing the ball eighty times a game and and putting up a ton of points. But you know this isn't this version of the of the Warriors team. Uh, um, Freddie Holly can get the job done on, with the running game, and uh, Cole McDonald's been lights out. You know, he's uh, throwing the ball. Uh, I believe he has 96 attempts. He's completed about 70 percent of his passes and nine touchdowns. For for Mike Bloomgren, Mike Bloomgren's club, what I'd like to see them do is go out and play to their potential for four quarters. As we said, didn't see that against Prairie View or Houston. Uh, how do they bounce back? I don't know. Uh, as, as far as you know, um, a, a prediction. I. I my gut here, Joe, uh, is I'm going to go ahead and take Rice. I, I think they will bounce back. Sean Stankovic, uh, you know, he's doing a great job at quarterback. But uh, it, it's not going to be by much. I'm, I'm going to take them in a, in a close ball game, you know, by no more than one touchdown. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so I think that wraps up the slate for this coming week. Um, hopefully we get another exciting week of Conference USA football. Hopefully the conference gets a few more wins. Um, but until next week, when we review this weekend and preview the following weekend, uh, we'll go ahead and say thank you for very much for listening. Uh, if you don't already, subscribe to the Underdog Podcast on iTunes. Follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Check out the site every single day for more G5 football coverage. Uh, I'm going to say thank you very much once again. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Um, Eric, remind me of your Twitter handle so that people can follow you. No worries. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Perfect. Until next time, thank you again very much for watching, listening, because this clearly isn't a video. I'm going to sign off now. Happy football watching, everybody.